see all of you again. Um, before I get rolling, man, we got a lot of things going on this week. I was, I was talking to my wife. I'm like, it's like feast or famine. And we're like in a full-blown smorgasbord right now. So welcome to the buffet. We're glad that you're here. So uh, I got a couple things I want to make sure that I talk about um, before we uh, um, go back to the, the life of David and try to finish up that series. Um, so I got, I, got a, I got a bunch of things here. So um, bear with me. Buckle up, kids. Here we go. So um, first thing um, that I want to mention is that we've got uh, an opportunity to help some of the Afghan refugees. Um, as you know, there's been some stuff going on overseas, <laughs> clearly. And um, uh, Tulsa has uh, several refugee families that are coming. Gina, do we know how many families at all? No. Uh, I had read somewhere that it was quite a few, but I don't know what that number is. But anyway, Catholic Charities, uh, which is a great organization, um, has been helping with that transition. And we have an opportunity to, um, to help them out, to support them in the work that they're doing. So what we'd like to do <coughs> is just have uh, as many uh, as we possibly can um, to go and buy some $25 Walmart gift cards um, because um, that's what the Catholic Charities has asked for because once the families get here, they're supplying them with certain things. But like any time you make a major transition, uh, you're going to have incidentals, right? And <laughs> to be honest, moving across the world is very different than moving across the city. Let's just be real about that. And so um, if you wouldn't mind um, heading over to, well, anywhere they're sold, because they're sold in a lot of different places, but at least you can go to Walmart and get a $25 gift card and then bring that with you to church next Sunday. We will gather them up and make sure that it, it gets to Catholic Charities. Does this make sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake. Yes, you are awake. Excellent. Okay. The, the other thing we'd like to do, too, if you want to um, participate a little more tangibly, uh, if you want to buy a package of diapers, apparently that's an issue, diapers and, and or wipes, because you kind of got to have one and the other, right? Yes, yeah, it's true. So keep that in mind. So bring those to church uh, next Sunday, the 3rd, and uh, we will make sure it gets to Catholic Charities. If there's, um, you know, you get some time you want to volunteer or you want to um, be engaged at a little deeper level, you can talk to Gina. Gina's um, been in, in touch with Catholic Charities, and she can give you kind of the lowdown on, on other opportunities if there are at this point in time. Does that make sense? So um, I just thought it would be kind of a cool thing to do on our birthday to try to help somebody else out. You know, we always want to try to, to uh, support other people because, you know, we thrive only when others thrive too, right? And so we want to make sure that um, we take advantage of those opportunities. Okay, so there's that one. Number two, um, after service today, uh, we have a short business meeting. I know, I know, you're hungry. It's okay, but we got a short business meeting. Uh, we need to make some changes to our bylaws. Those should have been sent out to you via email this week. So if you were so inclined uh, to read them, you could do that. We had them color-coded for you as well, so you could see what the changes were. Uh, I will um, <coughs> try to take a couple of minutes to briefly walk through what those changes are. Uh, I'll take some questions and answer them best as, as I possibly can, and then we're gonna cast pallets and we'll be done. So the whole thing, hopefully, depending on the questions, shouldn't last real long. And by the way, I, I'll just tell you up front, there's nothing controversial in, in, in the changes. 
I, you don't have to trust me, you can read them for yourself, but there's no controversial uh, changes that are going on. Uh, most of it has to do with IRS preferences. So you can only imagine what that really means, right? Certain things that the IRS wants to see in our bylaws um, uh, as we uh, apply for our own 501c3. So keep that in mind. Um, and to vote on the bylaws, you just have to call Thrive Church your home for, you know, last three months or so. Frankly, I want to hear from everybody. If you're interested in knowing about this, I would, I would appreciate uh, you participating in that. But um, technically speaking, uh, three months of, of attendance is all that we need uh, for you to vote. Uh, because we don't have membership. Isn't that cool? Because you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, you are already a member of the Church of God. That's how it works around here. So now you know. Okay, so that's number two. Number three. Um, you should have gotten one of these when you walked in the door. Looks like this little cupcake on the top, <coughs> which I think is very colorful. Um, we have a graphic designer who helps us out from time to time, and she was very concerned that these were not Thrive colors. I'm like, it's okay, it's a birthday party. <laughs> we can do something a little bit different. So anyway, uh, so we got this bright colored thing. Um, I'm calling the church um, to prayer and fasting. We're coming up on our fifth uh, birthday, and so I'd like to take five days and do some prayer and fasting. So what I've done is created little five points for you to pray about. Um, uh, Monday through Friday, there's something on here uh, that you know, we're just asking you to take a few minutes. Now, here's the thing. Here's how, how you can fast. You can do it any way that you want to. The easiest way is just to pick one meal, and instead of, of eating that meal, spend some time in prayer. And we've given you something to pray about. So you don't even have to pick that. You can pray about something more if you want. And I suggest you do. But at the very minimum, you've got um, something to be praying about. And, and really on here, it's, it's, it's about our future. It's about what's going on in the world today. And they're, they're big items. And uh, you can talk um, to God about more specific things if you choose to. But pray for at least five minutes. That would be great. If you've got to set your watch or a timer, you go ahead and do that. That's all right. Uh, Jesus will be there before your five minutes and he'll be there after your five minutes too. But for five minutes, you can do that. So pick a day, fast one meal, and uh, pray over the, um, the, the point of the day. Uh, if you want to do more, that's up to you. Uh, you. You and Jesus work that one out. Um, the other thing I would add is, yes, there's five things on here. The other thing I'll mention, <laughs> just in light of kind of today's circumstances, hey, continue to pray for the health and safety of your church family. Because, um, you know, if you're watching the news, you know that this, this virus thing is still not done yet, <laughs> right? And so we want to be praying for each other, uh, asking God to keep us all healthy and, and safe. So you may want to add that one to it. But really, the whole point is we want you to spend time with Jesus uh, as we go into our birthday celebration and into what the next five years would look like. God, what do you want to see the next five years be like? And that's what we're, we're hoping for. Okay, so next one. Uh, on Friday, I sent out a video to everyone asking all of you for a video. Okay, so see how that works? I used video to get you to do a Okay, never mind. Uh, so what I really want everyone to do is to take just, it doesn't have to be very long, but just something that you love about Thrive, something you're thankful for, something that you appreciate, 
about Thrive Church, and we're going to kind of put it into a montage and uh, let everybody kind of celebrate with it. So um, you can do it yourself. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it the two of you. Grab your kids, whatever. Uh, cuteness factor, you know, you get bonus points for that. But this is kind of like um, whose line is it anyway? Points don't matter at all. Um, but we, we award them, so <laughs> you, can, you can do that. But really, this is kind of what we want um, for you to participate in that and to talk about you know, over the last five years the things that um, have meant something to you. And you can email or text it to us, but try to do it by Tuesday so that we've got time to, to make the edits, but we'll put that all together. And of course, if you have any questions, you can just contact the church office and we'd be happy to answer those for you. Okay, we doing okay? I just got a couple more, and then we're going to then we're we're going to talk about Jesus eventually. I mean, we're going to get there, okay? Just hang with me. So, then on Friday, the 1st of October, this coming Friday, uh, is worship night right here at Tulsa Ballet. We're kind of excited about this. Um, it's the first time we've done it um, here, and <clears throat> Tulsa Ballet has been very uh, gracious to us in allowing us to come and, and do this. We're excited. Uh, but it's 6.30 to 7.30 right here. And um, just come to spend time with God and to be with your brothers and sisters. And we're, we're looking forward to that. Kind of a great way to end a fast and prayer time, I think. I think it'll be good. And then, of course, um, next Sunday is Happy Fifth Birthday Thrive Church. Hooray, we'll have some fun things going on. It's Family Sunday, and um, there'll be communion as well, so keep all of that in mind. So it's kind of an exciting time. Man, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? I was telling Lisa last night as I was um, writing these things down, I'm like, God, I'm afraid I'm going to forget something. So uh, in case I do, you'll get another email or something (laughs) on social media. But I think pretty much that's all that's happening at this point. And like I said, if you've got questions about it, um, just let us know, and uh, we'll be happy to try to answer those. Okay? Enough said? Good deal. All right. Um, Once again, I'm so thankful that you've decided to spend your Sunday with us, whether you're here live in the audience or if you're online. Uh, If it's your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. And um, we're finishing up, finally, the uh, series on the life of David called After God's Heart, and we're going to try to wrap this up today. Uh, I I suspect there'll be times when we return to the life of David, but we've kind of gotten this overview over the summer, and uh, and I want to kind of bring it to a close today. So um, at the end of 1 Samuel, um, the book that we've been studying, um, Saul, King Saul, is on the brink. I mean, he really is... um, in the waning days of his monarchy. And he's lost God's favor. It's gone. Um, and he's struggling with that. The family conflict that he had with David has escalated to the point of absurdity. Um, there's been several times where David has had opportunity to, to remove Saul completely to bump him off, to rub him out. He could have done it, never did. And each time Saul is ashamed of himself and he says, I'm going to leave you alone. And then he goes and he breaks the promise. He's done this many times. He's still hunting David. At the same time, he has multiple enemies on his borders that are harassing this fledgling kingdom. Multiple enemies. Um, At least two major ones one on his eastern border, one on his western border. 
and there's none greater than the western border, and that's the country of Philistia. Um, and according to the text, at the end of 1 Samuel, they are preparing for war, like major warfare. We're not talking about border skirmishes, and we're not talking about raids. We're talking about all out, let's just finish this. There hasn't been a major battle like this since David defeated Goliath in the first part of 1 Samuel. So things are coming to a climax here. And there's two things I want you to remember um, historically about uh, Philistia. <clears throat> there's evidence to suggest that this group of people who lived along the coast were what are known as sea peoples. So um, vaguely Greek in origin, um, but are, are usually associated with the Phoenicians. Um, which was a, a seafaring, uh, trade-oriented society. And because Philistia was of that type of mindset and had that type of naval power, they were um, excellent at trade and therefore technologically advanced. I mean, to the point where they, they pretty much outgunned, if you will, everyone else in the area. It, it is a significant thing, their technological superiority. Uh, usually having to do with the hardness of metal, the types of metal that they used. Uh, we have moved now in this time period from the, the Iron Age to the Bronze Age. That's the time period for those of you who are interested in history. The other thing that you have to keep in mind here, and this is the one that I, I think we, we sometimes lose, um, is that Israel has what's called a primitive monarchy. Because up until this point, you had a loose confederation of tribes. And they all got along because they all had, you know, shared a certain ethnicity, and yet they still kind of fought amongst each other from time to time. If you don't believe me, look at the end of Judges. It's horrific what they did to each other. But here, with Saul being the first king, you have a monarchy, but it's still very, very new. So there's not a whole lot of tradition here. There's not a whole lot of um, established protocols for things like you would find in other cultures that always had a monarchy. So when you think about succession, for those of you who, who watched The Crown on Netflix, you know that there's a certain um, uh, succession protocol uh, within the royal monarchy of Great Britain. This is not like that. This is something that's only been in existence, at least at this point in, in 1 Samuel, for a few years. We're not talking about the hundreds of years of history. And, and that means that there's a lot of political instability that's going on. And um, if you've been paying attention, political stability is kind of a big deal. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. So we're going to pick up this story in um, 1 Samuel 28, um, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to punch that in. There's these mounting political tensions. There's an imminent battle. And Saul does something absolutely unthinkable. Let's pick up the story. 1 Samuel chapter 28. It says, now Samuel was dead. Remember, he's that transitionary figure. He's last of the judges first of the, what we call the Old Testament um, prophets, the one who actually held the office of pro uh, prophet. 
Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Now hang on to that thought, because something's going to come up, okay? The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When saw Saul, the Philistine army, he was afraid, terror filled his heart. Now, notice that the text uses um, fear terms twice. That's a big deal. Anytime you see something like that done twice in the Old Testament, typically speaking, the author is trying to emphasize something. What's he emphasizing here? Fear. So Saul is feeling it, something awful. It's breathing down his neck kind of a thing. He inquired of the Lord, which is something a king of Israel ought to do, inquire of the Lord. But the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by um, urim, which is a a type of of, uh, dice that you would roll, um, so by lots, or by prophets. So the three primary channels that a king would receive counsel from God have been taken from him. He is literally, nobody's picking up the phone. Does this make sense? He's making phone calls and nobody's picking up the phone. And Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. Now what did it just say a couple of verses before? He had expelled the mediums and the spiritists. Okay, here's what that word means. It means somebody who talks to the dead. Right? This is important that we, we look at this. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and that night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. Bring up Samuel. Now he has just expelled all of these people, and yet they still remain. They just went underground. And the one that everyone mourned for, the one that anointed him king first, that's the spirit he wants to talk to. And this makes perfect sense. He's desperate. He is looking for some type of counsel, at least if he can talk to Samuel he, he might, might get, um, get somewhere. Now, please understand um, that this is, this is forbidden by Torah to talk to the dead. And when Samuel appears, he says this to Saul through this medium. Because you did not obey the Lord, the Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me, dead, okay? The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Not what he was hoping for. So not only did he do things in the past that were against what God asked him to do, now he was doing things that were completely against the Torah because he felt so alone. This is unthinkable for someone to go and uh, uh, ask for um, a medium that was directly against Torah. 
Now, there's some, there's some distinctions within the text on things like witchcraft and spiritism and, and all of that. Don't get caught up in that because it's easy to do. Really, the focus here is he shouldn't have done this at all. He's the king. He's supposed to set the example. And I think the, one of the things that we, we need to consider for all of us is never underestimate what people will do to deal with their fear. I mean, think about this. Uh, think about your own fears. Oh, no, why would I do that? That's exactly what I'm talking about. We will avoid our fears at all costs. We will do things to distract ourselves. Uh, we will become addicted to other things in order to, to avoid our fears. Uh, we, will, we, will, we will do unthinkable things as a way of dealing with them. And here we see that in stark relief that Saul is actually doing something directly forbidden by Torah in an effort to deal with the fear and terror that, he, that filled his heart once he saw the Philistine army. He doesn't believe that he can beat them. Now, <clears throat> shortly after that moment, the battle is actually enjoined. 1 Samuel chapter 31, we're right at the end of the, ch- of the book. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, just as it was prophesied. And many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, all three of them. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Now, that's a key point, because archers were a relatively new technology. Who had them? Philistia. So when we talk about technical uh, and technological superiority, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. Archers would change the the nature of a battlefield very quickly. Now there were other forms of, of distance fighting, slings, you know, David showed us that one. But in this particular case, archers made all the difference in the world. And this is the tech, uh, technology that uh, the Philistines had and could deploy very quickly, change the course of the battle. And it wounded Saul. So, Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Now, Historically speaking, um, <laughs> it would have been better for the king to committed suicide than to fall in the hands of the enemy because the enemy would have, as suggested here, abuse him. It was very common to take prisoners of war and do all kinds of terrible things to them, especially if you're the king. If you're the king of the opposing force, you're going to be a special target. Trust me. And in fact, um, if you read the rest of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 31, you can see what the Philistines did to the body of Saul and his sons. And if they did all of those horrible things to the body, you can only imagine what they would have done if he were living, right? So Saul makes this decision to fall upon his sword in an effort to spare himself from this. And, and, And there it is. At the end of 
of 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul is gone. And David has already been anointed king. The series is over, right? Of course. And it's happily ever after. Yeah, like real life, it got very messy after this point. Very messy. A civil war breaks out between David and the house of Saul because Saul has relatives. And you know what? When your relative is king, the shirt tail relatives come out. It's kind of like when somebody wins the lottery. All of a sudden, they got friends and family they didn't realize that they had, right? You've heard these stories. Well, the same thing is true back then because we're all attracted to wealth and to power. And once you have it within your family, you're very reluctant to give it up. And so this war breaks out between David and the house of Saul. However, after a series of battles, some court intrigue, and more than just a little bit of espionage, David does become king of Israel. Let me show it to you because it's in 2 Samuel chapter 5. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Now, now remember, Samuel had already anointed him, but now you have the nation who are anointing him, recognizing what God has done. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And so we, we have here in this moment that the reality is messy. You have to keep that in mind. But this begins a brand new era um, in, in Israel's history, a very important one. And under David and his son Solomon, the size and influence of Israel would never be greater. The, this is the apex, right at the beginning of the, the monarchy, the second and third kings. Uh, th this is where um, Israel was at the height of its power. Now, I say all of this um, to kind of come back to this point and to come back to the, the, the notion of, of the series. We call it After God's Heart. And I've said this a couple of times, and it bears repeating, because I think we have to be careful whenever we use the phrase. Because uh, I've heard, like many of you, um, different things, hmm, different meanings assigned to this idea of after God's heart. But we know from history and historical literature that it's an idiom, and it means that, that David was loyal. And we've seen his loyalty, haven't we? I and mean, we've talked about this many times where David has been loyal to God, and even God's anointed when he probably shouldn't have been, but he still was. And so this notion of loyalty is, is a, I think, is central to the idea of David. The time that he spent running after Saul and staying faithful and staying loyal, I think, um, did at least two things for him. Two things to think about. And the first one is this. I think that it gave David some endurance and maturity. Because he didn't get the kingship right away and he didn't take it for himself. 
He waited until God was ready to put him on the throne, and he did whatever he needed to do in order to get there. It reminds me a little bit of the really uncomfortable passage in James chapter 1. It reads this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Yeah, joy is not the first thing I think of. How about you? Right? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Another word for endurance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And that's really what we see in the life of David is he became not just an impetuous youth, but he also became a very wise, eventually, king. Horrible father, by the way. Did not do well in the whole fathering thing. However, as a ruler, as a, as a military commander, as a leader of his people, he was outstanding. And I think that this waiting period was a period of development for him. And so we have an, an endurance, but also a maturity that shows up. And I would argue that the time waiting was really what made him a great king, ultimately. I'm not sure he would have been as great had he not gone through those sets of circumstances. And I think, I think James probably had that in mind when he wrote this. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> not only was he, uh, did he persevere and gain ma- maturity, but he also gained great blessing. Tremendous blessing for his loyalty. And, and that blessing was on him, was on his family, was on Israel itself, and frankly, it also extends to the rest of us. Because out of David's lineage comes who? Jesus, right? And that's a blessing to all of us. And so, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says this to David, I love this, I took you from the pasture, here's a shepherd, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. So there's this promise of peace, which is a real blessing, especially after all of that war, after all of that internal strife, all of that court intrigue, all of it. And here God is saying, "Mm, no, it's time to be different. And God makes good on his promises, always does. Now remember from what we learned a few weeks ago, (laughs) he gets to choose when that timing is, but he always makes good on his promises. And so the question that kind of, I think, begs to be asked at this point is, okay, he's loyal. And we've all been, you know, exhorted at some point or another to be after God's own heart too, right? So if that means loyalty, how is it that we can be loyal ourselves? What is it, or what's the source of that loyalty? Where does it come from? How do we shift our hearts to be Loyal, to be after God's heart ourselves. And I think we can find it in one of David's early poems. 
because he would often write poetry and sing songs while he was working the sheep. What else are you going to do? It's not like you can have a conversation with, well, you could, but then, you know, your brothers would find you a little nuts, right? So consequently, he occupied himself, probably slinging stones just for fun, but also writing poetry and singing songs. So I want to show you one of his earlier psalms, or what's attributed to one of his, uh, attributed to him as an early psalm. And, and here it is. This is Psalm 8. Uh, you may have heard bits and pieces of this in, in current or more current songs. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And yes, some of you are singing Sandy Patty in your head right now. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? When I think about all of this, how is it that you think about us as people? You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. And what I, what I find here is an echo of Genesis chapter 1 is because God spends all that time, six days, creating this, um, uh, this planet and, and everything that's in it. And then, and then at the very end, he creates human beings in his own image to have dominion, to have stewardship over all of the earth. And so what we have in that early chapter 1 poem because that's what it is. We see creation, human beings, and God, and this is the relationship. And here David is echoing all of that. God, you have created all of these things, and yet you have set us here. How is it that we occupy that space? And so we see this beautiful relationship between God and his stewards and the rest of creation. And the idea of dominion doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want to with it, but rather we are responsible for it, and that is a completely different mindset. I don't own any of it. God owns it, but I get to steward it. And that makes me responsible. It's not about rights, it's about responsibilities which can be said for a lot of other things, too. But in this poem, this one that's written out in the field, David is considering all of these things. And what I, I keep coming back to is that the source of David's loyalty, the thing that's going on inside of him throughout all of this, is that ultimately he starts with, he starts with worship. He gets where his place is in the created order. Yes, it's above the other things that are created, but it's because God put him there. That is worship. That is ascribing the worth that God, God deserves and puts me in my place relationship-wise with him and the rest of his creation. And so really, ultimately speaking, that the source of David's loyalty is the time he spent with God out in the field. Just God and the sheep. 
And I think that David developed a relationship and a trust with him under those circumstances. And of course, God took care of him. And David ultimately acknowledged the presence of God all the time. Remember when he faced Goliath. Yeah, I knocked off a bear, I knocked off a lion. God gave me victory. It wasn't just because of his skill. Yes, it was partly because of that, but it was also because God took care of him. And David would be loyal in that sense to always point back to the one who was a source. He was loyal because of his worship. And so the real question here, I think for all of us, when we, when we talk about this idea of being after God's own heart, at least in my mind, is how is it with you? I always want to try to bring the text back to where we are and just say, you know, we worship corporately, but how are you doing it personally? You, you can do that, right? You don't have to just sing songs, although it's really cool if you do. If you're at my house, I have a, a 10-year-old who sings constantly. Lots of worship songs. And then occasionally Disney princess tunes thrown in just for fun. Maybe a show tune if she's aware of it. But most of the time, it's worship. And you know what? It's really hard to be in a bad mood when your 10-year-old is, is, is praising God just because that's who she is. So how is it with you and your own personal level of worship? Now, I, I want to hit the pause button again because I think it's really important that you hear me say this. I'm not asking the question in order to shame you. Like, oh, you should be doing this. You should be. What? That's not the point. But I want to raise the question for all of us to, to pause because life gets busy. Have you noticed this? Uh-huh. You got bills to pay. You got miles to feed. You got things you want to do. There's stuff to take care of in the house. There's the extra project at work. There's movies you want to see. There's Netflix to binge on. There's all kinds of things that we want to be doing, and our lives get busy. And so what I'm wondering is if we might want to try to pause for a moment and say, how much time and energy am I actually giving to, to connect with the creator and sustainer of the universe. Because here's the thing. If you think that you're just going to get filled up on Sunday morning and that you're going to be good the rest of the week, you know in your heart of hearts that that's not entirely true. You know that you need a little bit more. We all do. And again, this isn't to shame anybody. It's just kind of a reality because we put other things in our head. And trials, you got them, don't you? And if not, you probably will later, most likely. We all face those kinds of things. And can you face them head on with joy? Huh. That one's convicting in my heart of hearts. It's convicting. So I'm, I'm wondering... Maybe this week, um, we've tried to set aside time for you to fast and pray just for five minutes. I'm wondering if, if maybe you would look for more time to actually connect with God, to, to find places where you can connect with Him.
Start with your five minutes. That's great. Do that. But really try to block out the other stuff. I know it's hard. And your stomach might be growling. It's just used to the fact that you eat that time of day. But maybe what you could say is, Lord, that food isn't as important right now as it is to hear from you, to connect with you, for me to acknowledge who you are and what my place is in the world. Because it really is about, we, we say this often, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And then we spend all of our time doing religious things, not relational things. And so my, my, my hope for you is that as you um, take some time and energy to pray over Thrive Church, that you would acknowledge who God is and what your place in the world actually is, to give him some of your worship that he so richly deserves. And maybe you're saying, well, I don't know, there's not a whole lot going on. Okay. Are you breathing? You can be thankful for something. And maybe you just start there. Again, this isn't to shame anybody, but it's to help you see what's happening ultimately. Let's pray. God, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set things into motion that we don't even understand. And you're Lord over all of it. And every Sunday when we gather, we try to pause and we try to acknowledge the fact that you're in the room and we try to acknowledge the fact that you are still on the throne because, oh my goodness, when we, when we click the news on, oh, we need you to still be on the throne. And so God, as we, we get ready to celebrate five years, I can't believe it's five years already, of this church being in, in existence and, and all of the the things that we've, we've, we've experienced, the highs, the lows, and mostly in-betweens. Um, God, we're grateful um, for, for who you are and what you've done. We, we simply acknowledge that you are Lord of Thrive Church. And my prayer is that every person would connect to you this week <laughs> and in the future because that's what you want for us and from us. You desire to be with your people, to reveal yourself for who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, hands and feet that are quick to respond. Lord, we love you. We acknowledge who you are, your presence in the room. And I pray that you would make your presence known to every person here the rest of the week. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.